Let me, let me show you an evidence of that on the screen here. Uh, you know, at five years old, virtually everybody looks up to dads. My dad can do anything. You know, he's like Superman. Now, notice the rapid downhill problem here. At age 10, Junior's usually saying something like, you know, I, I wonder if dad knows how to. You know, a little bit different. And then rock bottom. By age 15, look at this. Dad doesn't know diddly. You know, that's the typical 15-year-old Dad's clueless in his or her mind. But then by age 20, things start to turn just a little bit. Um, notice a slight uphill. Dad may try hard, uh, but he's still hopelessly old-fashioned. By age 25, he or she, the child, is saying, well, at least Dad comes up with a good idea now and then. Then by age 30, we're thinking, you know, I think I might ask Dad what he thinks first. By age 40... We're, we're to the point of going, I can't wait to run that by dad and get his opinion. And then, you know, maybe some of you are here by age 50 or somewhere in there, we start saying things like, I sure wish I could ask dad about that. And then at some point, maybe it's age 60 or maybe later than that for some, it's, wow, what I wouldn't give to talk to dad about that one more time. Isn't it amazing how things change, our perspectives change as we go through the years. Let me ask, who is happy to be here with their dad? Raise your hand if you're here with your dad. Happy about that. How many of you are here with your dad but not happy about it? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, um, No, how about, um, actually, who's wishing dad was here, but he's not? He can't be here with you. I'm, I'm in the same boat. My dad's in Kansas preaching at another church, and I wish he were here. Well, you know, as I was thinking about Father's Day and preparing for it, I, uh, I, I was noticing in the Bible that God has called a number of things to all of us. Uh, we see him described in Scripture as sometimes as our creator. Sometimes he's called our provider. Sometimes our defender. Sometimes he's called a, a deliverer. Sometimes a teacher. But more than anything else, our heavenly father is called just that. He's called our dad, our, our father. And uh, some of us have a great relationship with our earthly dad, some of us probably do not in the room, but I hope we can all understand today that every one of us get the opportunity, have the privilege of having a beautiful and amazing relationship with a heavenly Father, regardless of what your earthly dad and you have going on between you. And I hope everybody can understand that, hear that, believe that, embrace that, no matter what things look like on this, uh, on this earth. You know, God has promised that if we accept Him, we could be adopted into His family. Isn't that cool? Look at what John said in chapter 1 of his book. He wrote, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that amazing? We get to be a son or a daughter of the king. That's a beautiful thought. So every Sunday we want to honor Jesus most of all and our heavenly father, his father as well. But we also want to celebrate and honor the dads in our lives on this earth. The dads in the room. Now, we all know this, and that is that fathering a child is not necessarily all that complicated. Anybody that understands basic human anatomy understands that that's not difficult to accomplish. But some men only pretty much get that far. That's all they really do. They father a child, but they honestly struggle to ever really be a dad. 
Whereas other men, and of course we've got a lot of young boys in the room with us today, other men and most all these boys, of course, uh, will end up someday being fathers but are not yet. And I want to say we celebrate you as well. We celebrate and honor all of you in that way today. But today we want to especially focus on the dads in the room. You know, being a good dad takes a lot of work, right? All the, all the dads in the room know that. Some work harder at it than others. Some are better at it than others. Some struggle more than others for, you know, a variety of reasons, whatever that may be. But I just want to do this. Whether you consider yourself an A-plus dad or maybe an A-minus dad or a C-minus dad or whatever grade you might give yourself, if you have worked at being a dad, would you stand up right now so that we can honor you for all the effort you put in? All the dads in the room, stand up. Yeah. Come on, ladies and children. Make some noise. Yeah. Well, this morning I want to look at some examples of dads in the Bible that we can hopefully learn some lessons from. Uh, but first, before we do that, I want to have some fun with the dads in the room. So we've got five categories that I want you to pick from. I think we have a list here. Five categories. We ask you if some of you got the memo or remembered, some of you forgot, that's fine. But five categories. We want you to all, all you dads, to put yourself in one of these five. If you were to go and spend some fun time this afternoon maybe or some other day with a son or a daughter, and I know it may not happen for everybody, maybe your children live elsewhere or whatever, but um, if in an ideal setting you could go and do something, which would be the, the thing that you would most pick? Would you be, if you had the option, would you like to go hunting or maybe you'd take them uh, fishing or maybe it's um, hiking, you know, maybe that would be synonymous with camping, just being outdoors. Uh, maybe it's to go golfing or it's some other variation of a game that involves a ball. We could have said football or basketball, but, you know, it's baseball season, so we'll just put that one up there. So, okay, all the dads, I want you to vote for one of those five. If you would say, you know what, in the ideal setting, I would go fishing with my son or daughter, stand up. Will you stand up? That's you. Stand up. All the people who love fishing. All right, we've got a bunch of you. Okay, so we have a gift for, all the, for one lucky dad. In each of these five categories, not all of you, sorry. We don't have that deep of pockets. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to give a, uh, a fishing pole to one dad. And here's what I want to do. <laughs> what did I miss? Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so, so if you're, let's do this. Uh, we'll, we'll go with t the guy whose birthday is closest to today. June 16. So if you were born in June, stay standing. If you were born in June, stay. Do we have any born in June? We got one, two, one, two. I mean, stay standing if you're born in June. Is it only, is Mac going the only one? All right, well, he's got, oh, and right back there. All right, so what's your birthday? Ninth? Wait a minute, I got to do the math. Is that the same either way? Rock, paper, scissors right there from there. Do it. <laughs> Come on, on three. Rock, paper, scissors. Do it. All right, there it is. Give, it, give a hand to Steve. All right. So, so if hunting would, would be your thing, and I know it's not hunting season for the most part, but if that were your thing, stand up. If you're a hunter, we got a nice rifle. No, we don't. Not really. Just kidding. <laughs> Not really. 
But we do have a nice camo hat that will guarantee you will be lethal come fall. All right, so here we go. So how about, uh, in fact, for the date, rather than today's date, let's pick, um, let's pick June, no. Where am I at? Yeah, pick August 31st because I think that's the beginning of elk season, isn't it? So August 31st. So if you were born in August or September, stay standing. Do we have any of you that are? All right, yes, we got, one, we got two. So what's your birthday? August 14th. August 17th. So, so, so it's going right back there. Sorry. But anyway, to Stan Cruzy. All right, if, if hiking is your thing, you like to just spend time hiking, climbing a mountain, something like that, we got a bunch of you, all right? So how about we'll again pick today's date, but let me tell you why. Do you know today, in June 16th, um, 199 years ago today was the day Pikes Peak was first climbed as far as we know. Anybody know by who? Not Zebulon Pike. The mountain was named after him, but he said the mountain was unclimbable. It was actually by a guy named um, uh, Edwin James. 199 years ago today climbed Pikes Peak for the first time as far as we know. So anyway, so in our, in our water bottle here, we've got the hand warmers for those who get to the top of Pikes Peak. I don't know if you saw the snow up there and then some other edible things in in that way as well. So let's do again to today's date. If you were born in June, stay standing. We got one, two, three in June. What's the birthday? Fifth? Twenty? And what? So I think, I think it goes back here to our, to our brother. uh, uh, um, What? Yeah. I can't hear you. Happy Father's Day. All right, we got two more. How about uh, who would say golfing? If you could, you'd take your daughter or son golfing. We've got a few. One, two, three, a bunch of you. Okay, a bunch of golfers in the room. So we've got some new golf balls that, um, that's enough for about one hole for me. That's, I, I go through a lot of golf balls. All right, so let's pick today's date because I think it, it ends the U.S. Open, right? Today, ends today. So uh, today's date. How about if you were born in June? Anybody, any of you born in June? All right, how about if you were born in, oh, right here, we got a born in June. Rich Stroger, there it is. All right, how about baseball or football or basketball, but baseball in particular is what we're aiming for. We got some Rocky fans. Now, we're going to pick April 5th. You know why? What's April 5th? Opening day for the Rockies in 1993, the best year in history, because that's the year the Rockies began. It's the year I met my wife. It's the year I got to move to Colorado. So anyway, so April 5th, if you were born in March or April, stay standing. March or April. Because close to, close to April. What's your birthday? April 17th. May what? Okay. Okay, it's going to go to Chad right here. <clears throat> so, wiffle ball. Hey, wiffle ball is a lot of fun. He can have fun with Cole doing that. All right. Oh, and then um, I also have, um, let's see, some $100 bills for all the perfect dads. All the perfect dads in the room. Come on up. <laughs> Sit down. All right. <laughs> no, seriously, none of us are perfect, right? We know that. I mean, even being a pretty good dad is difficult. In fact, 
as evidenced by the fact that this week when I was preparing for this message, I wanted to show you and talk about some examples of men in Scripture that did a good job as being a father, others that, that struggled as a father. And you know what? It was easy to find examples in Scripture of people that struggled, but it is hard to find examples of guys who did a good job of fathering in the Bible. So it's not easy, this, this role of being a dad, and we'll get to some of those who, even though they weren't perfect, did a good job in a moment. But let's start with looking at some guys that struggled and some lessons we can learn from them. I don't know if you've heard of the guy named Eli, Eli the priest. He was, if you're filling in the blanks, here's what I would call him. He was a present but permissive father. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 22. The Bible tells us this about him. It says, now Eli was very old, but he was aware what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. The Bible says, for instance. In other words, this is one of the many bad things his sons were doing. Verse 23 says, Eli said to them, I've been hearing reports from all the people around about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear about the Lord's people are not good. But Eli's sons would not listen to their father. In fact, the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Well, verse 27 goes on to say, One day a man of God, a prophet, came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. So God is saying this to Eli. He says, I revealed myself to your ancestors, Eli, when, when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Verse 29 says, So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me. For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people. And if you just skip ahead about a page, chapter 3, verse 13, God says, I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he has not disciplined them. Has not disciplined them. So Eli again was a present but permissive father. We could talk a lot about that, but there are lessons I hope you can learn from that just by reading the, reading the Scripture, reading God's Word. Let me share with you, though, a couple of things, other Scriptures that hopefully will resonate with you when you think of that kind of example to not follow. God's Word tells us in Ephesians 6, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a not-so-politically-correct verse in Scripture anymore. It used to be quoted a lot. You don't hear it as often, but it's still in the Bible. And the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Wow. Spare the rod of discipline means you hate your children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Now, there's appropriate discipline and there's inappropriate discipline, but if you love your children, you will discipline them. Hebrews 12 tells us no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. We've all been there probably. Most everyone knows that. But afterward, there will be a, a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way, who have been disciplined in a loving and appropriate way. A loving parent is not a permissive parent who just says yes all the time, gives their son or their daughter whatever they want for, whatever they ask for. A, a loving parent disciplines and trains their children in the ways that are right, knowing also what the book of Proverbs says in chapter 22, that it, the Bible tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. There is beauty in the idea of discipline. Well, so we can learn a lot from Eli. 
Samuel, who followed him next, we could read similar verses and thoughts about him. He was very much the same way as a father. But then uh, let's skip ahead, though, and look at David. Uh, I would say this about him. He was the less permissive, permissive but absentee kind of dad. He was an absent father. Now, we just talked about David last week in a lot of good ways, how he was a courageous and incredibly bold and God-honoring man. He's the only person in Scripture to be called a man after God's own heart. That's awesome. He wrote a lot of the book of Psalms. He, he did a lot of things to honor the Lord, but he, in most respects, failed as a father. We see that over and over through Scripture. Largely, it was because he was too removed. He was not there. He was absent. He was too busy, uninvolved. If you wanted to read his story, you might look in 2 Samuel, primarily verse, or chapter 13 and following. You can read his story as it continues to unfold. But you'll see as you read that, if you do, that he was very much an absentee kind of dad. He was just too busy. He was uninvolved. His firstborn son, as a result, Amnon, became a rapist. His thirdborn son, Absalom, was a murderer and led a rebellion against his dad, tried to take over the kingdom, rip it out of dad's hands. Obviously, they were not close. His fourthborn son, Adonijah, usurped his brother Solomon's place as future king and tried to take the kingdom from him, uh, apart from God's will. Um, that was to try to steal it away from his brother Solomon. In fact, speaking of Solomon, who is the seventh-born son of David, um, who started out on a pretty good foot, spiritually speaking, did not end well. In fact, he violated virtually every law God made for a king. See, David doesn't seem to be as permissive as Eli. He was more involved in those respects, but for the most part, he was uninvolved. He was not there. He did not spend enough time, apparently, with his kids. He did not have a close bond, and he struggled mightily as a dad. You know, there's a story about a boy, a little boy who one day was waiting for his dad to come home. And when his dad opened the door, with uh, the little boy had big eyes and full of excitement and kind of a timid voice. He greeted his dad, said, Daddy, Daddy, I just have one question. How much money do you make per hour? And his dad was a little surprised and actually kind of annoyed by the question. He said, look, son, you know, it's really not something you need to know, and you don't need to ask such questions. Plus, I'm really tired. It's late, so go to bed and quit bothering me. Well, Daddy, I just, I just really want to know how much you make. Can you please just tell me how much you make per hour? And um, the father sighed and hesitated. He ignored him for a little bit, but finally he lamented, and he said, okay, I, and let's see, probably about, uh, about $25 an hour. Okay, Daddy. Well, okay, then could you please loan me $10? Well, at that, the dad started getting really annoyed. He goes, so that's the reason you wanted to know? You just wanted money out of me? Will you just go to bed and, and quit bothering me with stuff like that and quit thinking about how you can, you know, get more money out of me? Well, his boy put his head down and walked back to his room. It was past bedtime, and so he got in bed and shut the door. The dad was sitting in the living room, kind of started feeling guilty about the way he had said things, maybe some of what he even said. And, and uh, so after a while, he, he thought to himself, well, you know what, maybe my son just you know, had his eye set on some new thing that's really cool that he wants. You know, I've tried to buy him everything I could that he would want, but you know, maybe I missed something. Maybe there's something cool that he really wants, has his heart set on, you know. 
So finally, trying to ease his mind, the father went to his son's room, opened the door, and hey, son, are you, are you still awake? And he goes, um, yeah, daddy, I, I'm awake. And he goes, well, um, here's, here's that $10 bill you wanted. I, I probably shouldn't have snapped at you, so I want to give you the $10 bill. Wow, thanks, dad. That's awesome. You're the best. The boy then sat up and reached under his pillow and uh, took another stack of money. And he goes, so, all right, so that's five, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and you're 10. That, that's $25 now. $25. Isn't that awesome? And his dad's like, okay. Um, he goes, so, Daddy, here's the deal. Can I, can I buy you for a whole hour? Would you play with me a whole hour tomorrow? You know, in a lot of ways, maybe David's children had a similar perspective. Like, oh, what would it take to get dad to just spend some time with us? I know he's busy being a king and all of that. and That's admirable. That's great. Man, I just wish dad would hang out with me, play with me. You know, even as adults, we long for dad to just show some, you know, some attention and care about spending time with us. You know, after um, being given a long list of beautiful commands from God that are, you know, and they're not, they're not to hold us back, but to show us how to live and enjoy life the right way. After that, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible tells us, God basically says, these commands that I, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, basically everywhere you go, I mean, this begs for the assumption that you're spending a lot of time with your daughter or son. In other words, make these things a regular routine as often as you can. Be involved in their life, especially in a spiritual context. Find a way. Sit down and be involved in their life, spiritually speaking. These are the lessons that David, unfortunately, did not have or had not learned that we can hopefully learn from him, though. Let me give you one more example of a father who really struggled, and that's a man named Ahaz. I would call him the wicked father. Let me just read three verses about him. The Bible says, Ahaz, son of Jotham, began to rule over Judah in the 17th year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God, as his ancestor David had done. That's an understatement. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel. Others had done this too. Even sacrificing his own son in the fire. Not horrific. Manasseh, there were others who did similar, I mean, did the same thing. I mean, child sacrifice. I mean, it's hard to imagine a worse thing that a father can do. And I don't need to tell anybody in the room that that's evil. But I might need to tell someone in the room that if your dad has ever done evil things to you, whatever that list might look like, that you still have a good, good father who loves you more than you can imagine. And it is him that you need to dwell on, that you need to press into, lean on, and, and pursue, even if you are longing for that earthly relationship that has never been quite right. All right, well, there are uh, some good examples in the Bible as well. Now, there aren't many, at least not that are mentioned. Part of that, I think, to set the stage before I 
show you this list would be to help you understand there might be a shortage of, of good father examples in Scripture for a reason you might not have thought of, and that is simply that a lot of things didn't get written down. Good things, good stories just did not always get written down. In fact, the last verse of the book of John says this, Jesus did many other things as well, after a long list of all the stories and parables and examples of things He had done. He did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. You know, so, so a lot of good things happen. There might have been a lot of wonderful dads that just aren't listed in the Bible, but we don't know a lot of things that uh, happened during those days. For example, you know, we don't even know if the disciples were parents. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. None, we don't know about any of them in that context. In fact, we don't even know if any of them were married except one, and that would be Peter, because the Bible tells us when Jesus came into Peter's house, this is Matthew 8, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on them. So we're obviously told that Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law, but we don't even know if he was a dad, let alone any of the others. So, there aren't a lot of biblical examples of good fathers, partly because of the fact that there are a lot of things that are not recorded. Maybe they were there, we just don't know. But maybe there aren't a lot of biblical examples of good fathering because it's such a hard job. How many of the dads in the room would say, yeah, it's a pretty tough job. I work hard at a lot of things, but being a dad is hard, right? I, I think all of us know that. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, maybe you need to stand up and preach the rest of the sermon because it is not easy. It is not easy to be a great dad. And all the examples we do have are guys that were flawed. There's not one perfect example of dad. Well, wait a minute, check that. There actually are two, but it's kind of a trick question as to who they would be. We'll get to that in a minute. Well, one of them is God himself. God the Father, of course, is a perfect father. But there's one more we'll get to in a moment. But there are some other decent dads. How about that? Maybe we can aspire to all be at least decent dads. We're not going to be perfect. But we can learn from some of those who did some things well. Let me give you a short list of that. First of all, I thought of Noah. I was kind of racking my brain trying to think through these, and I thought of Noah because, you know, during the days of Noah, there was so much evil that God decided to wipe the earth clean of all humanity. Everybody needs to die. Well, that's harsh judgment, but that's the conclusion God came to. And it, living, living a good life is hard, period, but especially if everybody, literally everybody around you needs to die. And that's the way it was during the days of Noah. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good morals or, or good character. And that is an important verse to consider when we talk about friends that, that uh, we would have or that we would help our kids to develop friendships with and all that. But it's also important when you think about or consider that Noah must have been a, a good dad in that he clearly must have been able to help his children who were surrounded by all kinds of evil. Terrible examples. There's no such thing as a friend worthy of being good enough for, their, for his kids because everybody deserved to die according to God. And yet somehow, look at what, what the Bible says in Genesis 7. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you, you alone, righteous in this generation. So somehow, reading between the lines, we don't know the details, but somehow Noah must have been a good dad and helped his kids stay pure in a very impure world, God-honoring in a very adulterous, uh, dishonoring world. That's a cool thought. I think we can learn from Noah in that respect. He was clearly involved 
helping them and leading them, inspiring them. How about another guy you may or may not have even heard of? His name is Jehonadab. Jehonadab, he uh, was first mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 10, if you want to look it up later, where he joined with Jehu in destroying the wicked family of Ahab. You remember him, Ahab and Jezebel? You know, another terrible example. But uh, this guy, Jonadab, came and helped wipe out uh, all of that history. And then later in Jeremiah 35, we read about Jonadab giving commands to his sons and how his sons obeyed him. And what's really cool about it is not only did his sons obey him, but his sons passed that down and his grandchildren also followed in the ways of the Lord. The Bible talks about that and I thought, wow, you know what? That is awesome. How many dads, just like me, would, would love to someday have a legacy of my children and my grandchildren are walking with the Lord because I inspired them. God worked through me somehow to inspire them and lead them down the right path. Of course we would all love that, right? What an amazing thing. That's Jonadab. And I was just like, man, I pray that someday history records that, you know, you and I have done the same thing with our children and our grandchildren. Let me give you one more example that we see in Scripture, a guy named Job. We've heard of him. Mostly we think about all the hardship that he endured, but look at him as a parent. The first five verses of Job tell us something interesting. First five verses of the book say this, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. Wow, I would love to have that said of me. It's not true of me, but that's, I would love to be blameless, a man of complete integrity. But Job feared God. He stayed away from evil. Again, a beautiful sentence. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 male or female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Now, listen to this. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. All right? Sounds fine. Nothing wrong with that. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify, or your translation might say consecrate his children. He would, now listen, he would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, who knows, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. I just think that's awesome. In other words, Job's saying, look, I don't know that my children have done evil things, but just in case they have, I want to be as involved spiritually in their life as I can. In fact, I want to come on their behalf to Almighty God, purify or consecrate my children before the Lord and say, dear God, please bless, forgive, and, 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 and use my children as you would want. This is a dad who was clearly very spiritually minded with his children. I, that's an awesome example. I love that. I think as we think of that, we, we should be reminded of the Deuteronomy 6 that we just looked at and other passages, you know, that remind us that we need to be involved, whether it be walking along the path, getting up in the morning, going to bed at night. You pick it. Find a way, Dad. Find a way to talk about You don't have to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And I'm a pastor. I feel guilty about not having all the answers sometimes. But it's okay to say, you know what, son or daughter, that's an interesting question. I don't know. I'll look into that. You know, we can talk more about it later. Let's look, to, look in the Bible together. But find a way to talk about spiritual things, as Job did, as others uh, taught us as well. Okay, now one more earthly dad who, again, kind of the trick question part, who might have been a perfect dad. I couldn't, I didn't think of this, but I was, 
talking in the staff meeting about it, and Chad brought his name up. And I'm like, oh, good idea. He was a perfect dad, at least as far as we can tell. Now, we know nobody's perfect, so he must have had flaws, although maybe he was perfect because he's not a real guy. He was a fictitious character. He was a character in one of Jesus' parables. He was the father of the prodigal son. And he said, as far as we can see of what is recorded about him in Luke 15, he set what appears to be a perfect example. I can't see anything to, to point a finger at. You know, you, most of you know that story. We'll just have to look at it real briefly. But the basic story is after the prodigal son had made his bad decisions, demanding his part of the inheritance way before it was due him, and then going out and squandering it all on reckless and foolish living and all that, he came, you know, with his tail tucked between his legs, feeling terrible about all that, remorseful, and thinking, you know what, I'm about to starve to death. Maybe I can go home. At least maybe dad would show me enough mercy to let me work as one of the hired hands. Maybe that. So he comes crawling back home like that. And what is verse 20 of Luke 15? I love this. One of the coolest verses in the Bible, not only about how to be a good dad on earth, but it shows us what almighty God is like as well. The verse simply says, but while he, the prodigal son, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Oh, I love that. There are a lot of lessons right there. We could talk about it for another 30 minutes, but let me in just a minute or two give you the brief little thing. If you're taking notes, notice these few things about that perspective or that moment. I think, for one, he practiced patience. He modeled for us endurance. He modeled for us waiting and watching. He wasn't giving up. I mean, the Bible says that while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him. How does that happen unless you're, unless you're standing there, either with binoculars or at least a keen eye, waiting and watching and hoping and probably praying, oh, dear God, help my son come to his senses and want to come home. Beautiful. I love that. Secondly, he was quick to forgive. Do you see that? What did he do? He was filled with compassion. He ran to him, and he threw his arms around him. He didn't say, all right, all right, I better hear a really good explanation, and you need to grovel for a bit. Or None of that. He forgave him and loved him just like God does us. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love that part of what this dad did. Don't miss the other part. A third piece would be that there was physical touch involved. He threw his arms around him. He hugged him. He kissed him. This is a grown man. You know, a lot of times dads get to a place of going, I, you know, I, well, for one thing, we see so much, we hear so much in the news about inappropriate touch. It's all over the news and, you know, for understandable reasons. But what that does in many cases is it leads a lot of men to think, okay, I don't want to even take a tiny little chance of anybody ever accusing me of that. So therefore, I don't touch my son or daughter. I mean, I quit when they turn three or eight or whatever. And and that's terrible. As a former youth pastor who worked with hundreds of kids, I saw a lot of girls and guys, but especially girls, struggle in life, making poor decisions, maybe throwing themselves to some other boy or whatever. And almost every time what I found as a common denominator was that they had a dad who was not willing to touch, not willing to be involved. Like, hey, honey, I, I love you, but, um, you know, I don't want to... And he, he, she desperately needed a hug to sit on dad's lap, to just, you know, obviously appropriate touch as opposed to all the things that we hear about in the news. But that is such an important thing, dads. 
So if your little boy or little girl is still at home, make sure you love them. You wrestle with the boys. You play with the girls. Whatever it takes, you know, find ways to do that. I also noticed in this story that he had compassion on both of his sons. He did not pay favorites. When I was thinking about other good examples, I thought, well, maybe Abraham, Isaac, or, you know, or Jacob. Well, wait a minute. All of those played favorites. And there were problems with that. Favoritism leads to bad stuff. There may be elements that you love about this child, you know, but don't play favorites. Love them equally as God loves you, even though there are others that probably honor the Lord more than you. God still loves you just as much. And you need to love your children equally as well. And then finally, I noticed that um, this guy was quick to teach in the moment, kind of like the Deuteronomy 6 concept. When you walk along the path, when you get up, when you lie down. In this moment, it was when, when big brother, older brother, threw a little fit. Hey, that's not fair. Why are you killing the fattened calf for him? He's, he's the loser that took off and took half of the money and on and on and on he could have said. And the dad came out and instead of scolding him or ignoring him or whatever, the dad came out, verse 28 says, So the father went out and pleaded, not scolded, pleaded with, loved that son too reasoned with him and tried to help him and tried to help him understand, son, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. And I love him. And I should, but I love you too. I love the teaching opportunity that he seized there. We need to do the same as well. You know, I'm out of time, so I'm going to skip over some of these other things I was going to say. But let me just share with you a couple of things that I've learned from my dad as we close um, that I think are really important that have affected the way I do fathering. For one, I've remembered or seen in my dad and tried to live this out with my boys. You know, Jesus asked the best, the most amazing rhetorical question in history, I think, in Mark 8, 36, when he said, what does, it, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So, dads, I hope you also can learn the lesson that I've learned from my dad that, you know what, it's nice to be able to give your son or daughter some nice things on earth, prepare a college fund for them, etc. You know, whatever, all that's nice. Uh, maybe leave them a nice inheritance someday. Those things are fine. But if you don't succeed in handing the baton off spiritually, then you've still failed. What good does it do for your son or daughter to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? So make sure you care more about spiritual things than anything else. And it really comes down to spending time with them. Children spell the word love. It's all, we all know it's spelled L-O-V-E, right? But children really spell it T-I-M-E. It's about your time with them. So whether it be with a fishing pole or a wiffle ball bat or, you know, some golf balls or anything else, find a way today to spend time with your kids if at all possible or tomorrow or next week or you want to, as often as you can, find ways to spend time with them because that's what matters most. That's what my dad used to do. And I love that about him. He was amazing in that way. And I want to just close with this. Um, as the band comes up, and we're going to sing one more song together in a moment, but Charles Francis Adams, you probably don't know that name, do you? Charles Francis Adams was the son of U.S. President John Quincy Adams. Most of us know that name. Well, they spent time together one day. They both recorded it in a journal. It was not uh, something that was well publicized. It was found decades later. President Adams wrote in his journal, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. <clears throat> his son wrote on the same day in his own journal something that was found decades later and then publicized and then somebody connected the dots and said 
wow, same day. Look at this. Look at the different perspective. Son wrote, Dad took me fishing today. Best day of my life. Isn't that awesome? I was sad on one side and awesome on the other. Dads, I just want to encourage you to understand your kids benefit and appreciate you working hard, setting up the trust fund, college fund. Those things are great. Providing a nice house for them. But what they mostly want is to play wiffle ball or sit and hear stories or go for a hike or whatever. And while you're doing that, Deuteronomy 6 makes it so clear we need to talk about these things, the laws, the commands, the guidance from God's Word, and even share your fears, the things you're not sure about in Scripture. Be man enough to admit you don't know everything. But talk to them about spiritual things. Pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Take them to church. Encourage them in all these ways. I want to ask if you would to stand. We're going to close. Let me just lead us in prayer. And then the band's going to lead us in a song. And if you feel drawn to come and surrender, maybe give your life to the Lord for the first time, why not here? Why not right now? Or maybe you want to come and repent. Maybe you want to come with dad or with, with your son or daughter and pray together. I don't know, but let's pray right now that God would just touch our hearts in whatever way he would want. Lord, as we, as we get ready to sing this song, I don't feel a need to say much other than just to say, Lord, would you please speak to me? Speak to each dad, each person in the room, but especially us dads. And help us to know what it is you want to say to us today. Maybe it's uh, to encourage us to keep on going the way we've been going. Maybe it's to add something, change something, um, to think through something, whatever it may look like. Lord, help us to hear what you want us to hear and then trust you. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for being a good, good father, the ultimate father, the best father any of us could ever have. And we worship you, we honor you, and it's in Jesus' name, your son, that we all pray together and all together everybody said, amen. Let's worship.